Here we go. Can you believe this? We are halfway through the year, this being Monday, July the 1st in the year of our Lord, 2019. And being a Monday, we're taking a look at lessons for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, which will occur on July the 7th. I mentioned to you before my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is Revelation 5. My favorite verse is in Habakkuk. My favorite book on law and gospel is from the book of Galatians, particularly chapter 3. And guess what? The epistle reading is from Galatians, only it's with chapter 6. So, beginning with verse 1, We're going to continue with our study of Galatians in preparation for this coming Sunday so that at least when you hear the epistle, even though the pastor may not be preaching on it, you'll have a better understanding. Uh, The Apostle Paul begins, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, we had a promo talking about that a lot of people think that Christians are too judgmental. Well, if you're not judging someone, how can you ever catch someone in any transgression? You see, that doesn't make any sense to say that Christians should never judge. Uh, You'd have to say, therefore, that Christians could never be on a jury. They couldn't be a judge. They couldn't be a policeman. Uh, All kinds of areas where we make judgments. And, And you couldn't even be a doctor. If the infection or the illness is due to some sin that the person is doing, you couldn't tell them about it. And so I use this, and I've used this before, so for many of you this may be a repeat. There's two kinds of judgments in the Bible. Uh, The one is like a jury, where the jury decides you are innocent or guilty of a transgression. The other judgment is that by the judge, who gives the sentence. In the Bible, Christians are allowed to be jurors. We are not allowed to be a judge. Even when we excommunicate someone, and we excommunicate people for unrepentance toward an obvious sin, which they tell us, no, it's not a sin. Uh, Let's say two people are living together outside of marriage, and they refuse to consider it a sin, because everybody is doing it, all the movies have it, All the television shows have it. How can that be a sin? Well, that person would be excommunicated. Now, if that person is put to death for some reason, a car accident or an illness, and you ask the pastor, did that excommunicated person go to heaven or hell? The pastor cannot tell you. Because that is moving from being a juror where you can say, yes, what he was doing was inappropriate to being a judge. And here's where the difference is. Jurors look for evidence that can be seen, heard. Whereas a judge makes a decision on the basis of the law. Now, God alone can judge a heart. 
even if you have an excommunicated person, let's say they die from a disease and the pastor didn't get to see them before they died, who knows whether that person has repented? God knows. So you really can't say that such and such a person is definitely going to hell unless his name is in the Bible and gives that teaching. For example, Jesus said about Judas, it would have been better had he never been born. Well, Jesus would never have said that about anybody who was going to heaven. So Judas, for sure, would be an individual who was not saved. And there are other examples in the Bible. But the names of people today are not in the Bible. So you better be really careful. So if you catch somebody in any transgression, it goes on, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, there's some disagreement among scholars as to who is being referred to as you who are spiritual. Some believe that we're talking about congregational leaders. And in a lot of congregations, that's correct. That would be the pastor or the elders. Somebody brings a charge against another member that they're living in unrepentant sin, and they begin the process until they take it to the voters' assembly, the board of directors, or whoever makes the decision for excommunication. So whether or not it's the spiritual leaders, we do remember now that every Christian who is baptized has received the Holy Spirit. So I see no problem with referring this to, say, parents, and they see their children in any transgression. Uh, This is why I'm against doctrinal sermons. You're against doctrinal sermons? I'm talking about a sermon where you only teach doctrine. Uh, Let's say on the Trinity, you're trying to describe how there can be three persons, one God. That's a doctrinal sermon. And it's really worthless to a parent, as I said before, uh, the mother just found out her daughter is pregnant out of wedlock or the father has found out his son was arrested for drug taking. That's not going to help. The sermon isn't going to help them on a doctrinal sermon. That's why you always need to use long gospel in a sermon in order to help the people who are listening. And notice that when you catch somebody in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Uh, Yesterday I had a sermon. You had Elijah who was on a mountain and God was passing by. He was in a strong wind. He was in an earthquake. Uh, I should say there was a strong wind. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. And God was not in any of those. And then there was a still, small whisper. And I was making the point that that is really a distinction between law and gospel. That when God brings the law, go to Mount Sinai. You'll see fire and earthquake and strong wind. Uh, Ask the Egyptians when they were drowned by the waters of the Red Sea because a strong wind dissipated and the waters flowed over them. And how many times earthquakes would swallow people up. This is God under law. But when do we hear God in a whisper? That would be the gospel. And I made this point that when Jesus met his disciples, 
uh, for example, on the night of the resurrection, remember he told them, peace be with you. And I'm sure he didn't say it this way, peace be with you. No. It would have been kind of like in a whisper, peace be with you. And it said they were joyful. And there are many examples like that throughout the Bible, where when God speaks in a whisper, it's the gospel at work. And so we do it in a spirit of gentleness. I mean, can you imagine a parent looking at a child who's disobeyed? And I've heard this said by some, that they look at the child and they say, I wish you had never been born. Wow. That child's never going to forget that. And that's really hard to come back. Or if a parent gets overly anger, angry. I mean, you hear of uh, some parents, they get angry. They're watching their children play Little League Baseball, and the child strikes out. And the father yells at the son for striking out. <laughs> that's not a spirit of gentleness. But it goes right on. Why do we need to have that spirit of gentleness? Because keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. See, we're always in sin. And therefore, if you're going to be hard on someone who is a sinner and not attempt to restore him in a, gen in a spirit of gentleness, you're in trouble. Now, you would say, well, excommunication isn't a spirit of gentleness. Well, it depends how it's done. If the pastor, in fact, this happened at a congregation. <laughs> this is a true story. A pastor announced to the congregation that one of the uh, girls in the congregation had become pregnant out of wedlock. He gave the name and told her to sit apart from the congregation. A few months later, his own daughter became pregnant out of wedlock. And he ended up leaving the congregation. That's kind of interesting. You better be careful how gentle you are. And the reason that you want to be gentle, you want to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what does that mean, the law of Christ? The law of Christ is God's will. And unfortunately, a lot of people are replacing the law of Christ with what they think is the Holy Spirit telling them what to do. And so that's why you have a lot of individuals, even pastors, who are saying uh, we can continue to sin because it's no longer sin in our day. It may have been sin in the Old Testament, but not today. And so the way you feel is the way you're supposed to act. Well, that's ridiculous. You see, if you don't do it in the spirit of gentleness, verse 3 tells you why. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, I, I kind of fool around in church an awful lot in making jokes. And uh, in fact, what was it in the Bible study I was saying? That as I look out over you members, and it just so happened my wife was with me at this Bible study, I said, it's, it's obvious to me all of you are sinners, not like me, who hardly ever sins. And I have my wife here to prove that. Well, she didn't take any time in not proving that. <laughs> no, all of us are nothing. 
What does it mean we are nothing? It doesn't mean that we're not someone God loves and that we're not a human being, but we have nothing to offer God in order to offset our sins. So if if you're really taking it hard on someone because of the sin that they have done, you're really saying to God, obviously I'm much better than they are. And God is saying, no, you are nothing also. Remember uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It's not talking about riches or the lack of riches. It's talking about that you really don't have anything to offer God to balance out your sins. And that's why it's a free gift that Jesus Christ dies on the cross to pay for those sins. Verse 4, Galatians 6. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, what does that mean? Well, it just so happens that when we sin, God puts into place consequences of sin. For instance, let me read Proverbs 22, verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. In other words, it's kind of a law that God has put in in regard to good works and sin. Now, those who do good works, even atheists, they're rewarded by those good works. If they stay under the speed limit, they pay their taxes, they're not going to have the government coming after them. But if you... Go over the speed limit, you may receive a calamity of a, of a ticket. So that's how each one bears his own load. Verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now that's just indicating that there should be honor towards the teachers in the church. And I would be including that as Sunday school teachers. I've said a number of times I do not have the ability to teach Sunday school to kids who are four years old, five years old, six-year-olds, as well as some of the teachers I had who were able to do that. One who is taught the word, therefore must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also Reap. Now, I'm traveling a lot in um, Illinois these days. I'm seeing a number of churches, and it's not at all unusual. I put about a thousand miles on the car per week. And in doing that, what's happening is that you get an opportunity to really look at the fields. And many of the fields, uh, both in the eastern part of Illinois and also the northern part of Illinois, still have water in them. And they're hardly able to sow. Now, just in the last two weeks, I've been noticing more and more plants coming up. And so, this is what it's saying. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I think farmers are some of the most patient people in the world. Although, I did read an article recently that two vocations that have a high suicidal rate these days are soldiers 
who've come back from war and also farmers. So farmers really need to be gathered around the word of God to get that humility and that patience that God brings. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What does that mean? Well, I think I went through that for a period of time. When I first got into computers, I always wanted to upgrade because I heard that the newer computers did better, the newer programs did better. And so as soon as something came out, I would try and get that. And guess what? Those computers broke as well as the earlier ones broke. In other words, when I then finally ended up getting a computer from someone who actually operated them and worked with them, I was doing a lot better rather than trying to keep up with everybody else. In that sense, I was sowing to his own flesh means you're sowing to your own self-interest. Well, from your own self-interest, you'll reap corruption. It costs a lot more money, and a lot of times they weren't that much better than the older programs. But the one who sows through the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, how do you sow to the Spirit? How do you plant seed? Well, he just gave you an example. It's what this is all about. He's saying that you who are spiritual, if someone is caught in any transgression, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's sowing to the Spirit. That's using the promises of the Holy Spirit to bring one back into a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. And then this is really a good verse for farmers and others. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In fact, um, as you well know, I had some surgery, some um, heart situation, and fortunately it was kind of overnight rather than three months like it usually was. And the only problem I had, I was not allowed to drive. And so my wife has been driving me to all the congregations, to KFUO every morning, this sort of thing. And that just ended yesterday. Uh, today's the first day I drove myself to KFUO. Uh, the time is up that I was able to. I had no problem at all. And this is where if you just simply have spirits, do not grow weary of doing good, do not give up. And so now if on my way home today something happens, well, then just forget what I just said. But at any rate, <laughs> I'm doing real fine. And we're looking forward to uh, being here during the KFUO Long Gospel, being at the congregations. And the one thing I will start be doing, in fact, right after this um, program, I'll be starting to drive for Uber again. I was unable to do that because they don't allow your wife to drive when you're in the car for Uber. <laughs> so it makes sense. At any rate, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Now, what is that talking about? 
Well, particularly those within the church. If you go to 1 Corinthians 11, remember part of the problem with the people there who were taking communion, the rich people were coming in and they had lots to eat. They had prepared for themselves. Some of them were drunk. And the poor, they didn't have anything hardly to drink or to eat. And see, that wasn't taking care of the household of faith. The household of faith is the Holy Christian Church. And and so when I was at a congregation for 28 years, uh, we had a practice at Thanksgiving that we would uh, encourage people, even from the neighborhood, if they needed food. And we had an individual, his name was Elmer Herchert. And about a week before Thanksgiving, I would take to him the number of turkeys that we would need. And he would go and purchase them, uh, deliver them to the church. And then a couple of nights before Thanksgiving, we would deliver groceries, which members of the congregation gave, as well as these turkeys. And it was not at all unusual that out of that, some people did join the church. But it wasn't a requirement that they had to come to our church in order to get food. Because loving the neighbor is the essence of loving God. Because God has put us among neighbors. And that's why within the Christian church... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's done in the liturgy almost every Sunday at the churches I'm uh, preaching at. We'll start off with what's called a confession of sin, where all the people confess that they're sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Now, I as a pastor then respond to that. And I don't say, oh, thanks a lot. Jesus Christ dies on the cross and you're doing sins every week. Boy, how do you think you're going to be able to go to heaven? <laughs> no, that, that's not the response at all. The response is a response of forgiveness. Upon this, your confession I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you. And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I don't do this with yelling. I do it with a calm voice because I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. That's what Galatians 6 is all about. Because on the day of judgment, he will not be yelling at you to come into heaven. He will be calmly inviting you to come into heaven and enjoy an eternity of bliss with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow on Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, it's Rumination Tuesday, we're going to be doing a hymn. And, and here's the title of the hymn. Jesus has come and brings pleasure eternal. Now, the first time you read that title, you're wondering, okay, he's going to bring, pre he's going to bring 
pleasure, but eternal? Does that mean we have to wait to get to heaven in, in order to have this pleasure? We're going to be talking about that. And the purpose of talking about that is in order to give you an insight as to what eternal pleasure really means. I do believe that many Christians are kind of foggy about eternal pleasure, especially when they look at their own lives and see so many things apparently going wrong. I'm Tom Baker. You've been listening to Law and Gospel on this July the 1st in the year of our Lord, 2019. And we'll continue with a hymn tomorrow, a Bible study on Thursday, a little discussion with Wes Reimnitz on, I'm sorry, that'll be on Thursday, and then open mic Friday. The Bible study is on Wednesday. Till tomorrow, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.